Amen. Welcome to church. Welcome to Maple Grove. Welcome to Freedom Sunday 2016, which is, by the way, an absolute perfect fit with our current message series, Church, that we began two weeks ago on September 11th. I mean, think about it. Freedom is what Jesus and his church are all about. Amen? Okay. I, I, thought, I, I, thought, I, I thought I saw people out here. Freedom is what Jesus and his church are all about. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm not too proud to beg. Um, now, the goal, the intent of this series, church, is fourfold. That we will, and by we I mean me and you, that we, that we will have a deeper understanding and a much firmer grasp on the power, beauty, purpose, significance, value, and awesomeness of the church so that we will begin to see her as she really is. Uh, number two, that we will be much more excited about the opportunity that we get to be a part of the church. Are you kidding me? I, I get to be on this team? Number three, that we will take the church much more seriously and treat her accordingly. And, and, and number four, that we will commit to the church more fully. And on November the 6th, I will, I will be making an unapologetic call for every one of us to commit and recommit to the work that God wants to do in and through us in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. Now, so far in the series, we've, we've unpacked 12 statements that, that lay the foundation for achieving all four of those purposes. And I'm just going to blaze through them really quick. Number one, Maple Grove is the church. Number two, the church is Christ. It belongs to Jesus. Number three, the church is not a building. It's us. Four, the church is the bride of Christ. Five, the church is the most valuable thing on the planet. Six, church is more than a Sunday morning huddle. Seven, the church is the body of Christ, the second incarnation. Eight, the church is the family of God. Nine, the church is the temple of God. Ten, the church is Christ's flock. Eleven, the church is the promised messianic kingdom. Number 12, the church is the called out of God. You see, the church are, are those called out from the world by the gospel to go back into the world with the gospel because they are the hope of the world. Now, now, now next week's conversation is, is going to be we are followers. It's going to be awesome, challenging, convicting, inspiring, transforming. All right, it's a good thing I got God's word, right? Because it wouldn't be any of those things without it. Uh, but this week, Freedom Sunday, the conversation we'll have and the truth we'll unpack about the church is that, the, is that we are justice bearers. And would you guys pray with me? Uh, Father, it is amazing to be in your presence, Lord. It's crazy to have the ear of the one who spoke and created the heavens and the earth and stretched out all of the stars and galaxies like stretching out a, a canvas. To have the ear of the one who was and is and always will be. God, you're good and just and kind and perfect and mighty. 
And Holy Spirit, you're alive and well. We just pray that in this room that you would move in a powerful way, that, that something supernatural will happen and you will wake us up to the reality of what you've called us to be and that we will fight for freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. There's three points in your, in your notes. And, and uh, we're also going to watch several more powerful and engaging videos produced by IJM, International Justice Mission, specifically for Freedom Sunday 2016. Uh, question, when you think of the words justice and injustice, what thoughts or images come into your mind? How does injustice make you feel? H have you ever experienced injustice, felt that you were not treated justly? Question, have you ever been in your in your lane in a traffic jam, following the rules, and suddenly you watch a very fancy sports car fly by everyone in the emergency lane? Have you ever been in the fast checkout line in the grocery store, 12 items or less? And you have exactly 12, you've even put two more items back on the shelf because you're following the rules, right? And you're in that lane because you want to get in and out very fast. Unfortunately, the person in front of you has a cart that's overflowing not only that, they're moving in slow motion to unload it, and they have 1,722 coupons. You ever been dropping your kids off at the car line? See, the way the car line works in my mind is stop your car, get them out fast, right? But sometimes the person in front of you decides that, yeah, 7.50 a.m. in the morning with 20 cars behind you is the perfect time to have that parent-teacher conference you didn't go to, and they talk for 10 minutes. And, and I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta be honest, things like that get under my skin, and they get stuck in my crawl. You know what a crawl is? I had to look it up. It's a small muscular pouch where a bird stores excess food prior to digestion, right? Okay, not a pleasant picture, but it's just stuck there, right? It's like, I'm supposed to digest this thing, it gets stuck in my crawl, right? Um, yeah, it, it fires me up, gets my blood pressure up, because I feel that somehow an injustice has been done to me. And everything inside of me wants to do something to settle the score. You better get a ticket, right? You know, you know hope you lock your keys in your car, right? Get a flat tire in the way, you, you know? Because to me, injustice many times is, hey, I want to get even because somebody did something to me. Now, when the Bible speaks of injustice, that's not the picture that it paints. You see, when the Bible talks about injustice, it's a very... It's referring to a very specific kind of sin. This will pop up on the screen. Injustice is the abuse of power to take from others the good things that God intends for them. Injustice is the abuse of power to take from others the good things that God intends for them, their life, their dignity, and the fruits of their love and their labor. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes paints a, it gives a very simple and a painful picture of injustice. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1, Solomon. I observed all the oppression that, that take, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power, and their victims are helpless. Paper Grove, this is the biblical picture of injustice. This is a picture of someone who has power oppressing someone who does not. This is a picture of someone who has taking from one who has not. Uh, we see injustice in the story of, of David. 
You know, our beloved warrior, poet, king of Israel. I mean, David wakes up one spring morning and sees a beautiful woman bathing a, a couple of rooftops over from his palace. He decides that he wants her. And so he uses his kingly authority and power to take Bathsheba for himself. And, and, and then he tries to cover up the abuse by using his power and authority to have her husband purposely murdered in a war. And listen, when the prophet Nathan comes to confront David in, in, in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12, he confronts the king primarily on this abuse of power. We also see this abuse of power in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, as God's people spent 400 plus years as slaves in Egypt. Now, God's people came to Egypt because there was a famine in the entire Middle East for seven years, and, and when Jacob and his sons and their families came to Egypt, they were welcome and honored guests because Jacob's son Joseph had risen to power such that he was the second to only Pharaoh himself in the land. However, many years later we read, uh, eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done, like saved them from dying. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if a war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us, then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave masters over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. The Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. And in all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Injustice is the abuse of power to take from others the good things that God intends for them, their life, their dignity, and the fruits of their love and their labor. And, and of course, it's hard for us in America uh, when we hear the word slavery not to think of the 400 Year, year stain that rests on Western civilization when the transatlantic slave trade ripped between 10 and 15 million people from their homeland. Now, I found this, this image on the internet where it talks about the numbers of slaves and where, what country. You know, you can see that, you know, the majority were shipped to the West Indies and Central America and South America. Injustice. You know, it would be great if we could say that these stories we read in the Bible in our own history were things of the past. I mean, most of us would like to imagine that our world today is different, that it is less brutal and more just. However, such is not the case. You see, my connection with an organization called International Justice Mission, when I was with our team in the Dominican Republic, you know, 12 people from Maple Grove and 18 from other churches, we, we spent two entire days from morning to night uh, with the team and the DR with International Justice Mission. I got to tell you, these are amazing people. They love God. They love God's people. They love freedom. And they have sacrificed greatly in order to help people be set free. You see, tragically, Ecclesiastes, David's story, Israel's in Egypt, and the transatlantic slave trade are just as current in our world today as they were centuries ago. Check out the following statistics. You know, over, over 45 million people are held in slavery today. 
45 million is greater than the population of 158 countries in the world. 48 million people is greater than the population of Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, Maryland, South Carolina, and New Jersey. Uh, 45 million is more slaves than were trafficked during the 400 years of the transatlantic slave trade. Three times more. 45 million people enslaved is more than any other time in history. Sex trafficking. Somewhere between 4.2 million and 11.6 million people are held in forced commercial sexual exploitation. A, A child in India goes missing every eight minutes, and nearly half are not found. Now, there's a great organization in India. It's called Rahab's Rope. Pam McClish is involved in that, that really is focused on sex trafficking in India. There's an organization called Rafa House, and uh, you can talk to Laurie or Jordan or Hannah in Cambodia, and they're dealing with rescuing girls from sex trafficking in Cambodia. There's also, if you have Netflix and you're brave enough, I encourage you to watch the video Netflix called Finding Home. It's a story of three girls rescued in Cambodia. And, you know, Laurie, Jordan, Hannah, they, they met these three girls. And it's brutally honest and it's, it's painful to watch. But it's why my life loves Cambodians going back in January. Now, human trafficking generates about $150 billion a year. And two-thirds comes from commercial sexual exploitation and justice. Globally, four billion people live outside the protection of the law. And I know I'm sad to say that as you and I live in our comfort and our safety in middle-class suburban America, facing such devastating injustices like a guy in a sports car passing me in the emergency lane or too many items in the checkout line or someone having a parent-teacher conference in the car line, millions of people are enslaved. Like Kumar, a young boy in India that I'd like for you to meet. Imagine being seven years old, orphaned and alone. Because your father's debt... you're, you're sold into slavery to the owner of a brick factory. A harsh man who yells at you or ignores you, who forces you to wake up before the sun and join dozens of adults twice your size in a long day's labor of molding and hauling and stacking heavy clay bricks. You are confused and terrified. You don't even know you're a slave because you're just a child. And this is Kumar's life. And and the story shared by millions of other children and families across India and the developing world today. Month after month, a a forced labor left Kumar's tiny hand scarred and raw. And and Kumar wanted desperately to to be in school, to make friends, to play, to feel loved, to be a boy, to be a seven-year-old kid. He said he was literally afraid to think about his future, so he never did. There was only the work and the harsh fist of his owner to keep him moving. And again, I, I, I wish I could say that, that Kumar is just one story, but he's not. The reality is that slavery is pervasive and violent across India. Enslaved women fear being gang raped by their owner's men. 
Brutal violence is used to create fear and prevent escape. One victim's arm was doused with kerosene and lit on fire. A a mother's stomach was stomped because she dared to stop a man from beating her two-year-old daughter. Entire villages are often promised a job several cities away. When they arrive, they're enslaved in a community where they have no connections and do not even speak the local language. They're beating, they're shocked with electrical wires, tied up in cow sheds, treated as less than human. And Kumar is just one of what is estimated to be nearly 15 million slaves in India alone. Just to be clear, one-third of the world's slaves are estimated to live in India. 15 million people who are made in God's image but have been reduced to a thing, a non-person, a slave, a commodity. Now, question, what are we to do with this information? How should we respond to Kumar's reality and the reality of millions of others suffering such injustice? I mean, should we simply ignore it? Should we turn off the channel in our mind to, to something more, more pleasant? And try not to think about it? And brothers and sisters, what, what does God what does God want us to do? See, I, I, I think the best place to start in finding the answer to what we're supposed to be doing is to ask, how does God feel about this? How, how does God feel about injustice? And listen, when we look at the Scriptures, we see very clearly that God, He hates injustice. Hates it. Now, this week I, I looked up nearly every verse in the Bible that dealt with justice God's love of justice and hatred of injustice. There's so many. My head was about to explode. But here's a sample, just to drive home the point that God hates injustice. Uh, The first two are are from the book of Deuteronomy. It's the book of second law. The generation that left Egypt had died in the desert because of being unfaithful. And, and, And now this new generation is about to enter the land. And God wants to make it clear that they understand Hey, here's what I, who I am, and here's what I expect from you. Here's how I expect you to behave. Deuteronomy 24, 17. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice. Or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. And then in Deuteronomy 27, you know, God had his people stand on, on Mount Ebal, and he pronounced, the priests would pronounce curses that God would put on the nation if they did things offensive to God. And uh, the priest would pronounce a curse, and the people would say, amen. In Deuteronomy 27, 19, we read, Cursed is anyone who denies justice to foreigners, orphans, or widows. And all the people will reply, amen. Psalm 27, verse 2, dark clouds surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Isaiah 59, 15 and 16, the Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. And he was amazed to see that, there, that no one intervened to help the oppressed. And then in Amos 5, God really unloads on his people for their injustice. You trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. Therefore, though you build beautiful stone houses, you will never live in them. Though you plant lush vineyards, you'll never drink wine from them, for I know the vast number of your sins and the depth of your rebellion. You oppress good people by taking bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. 
And a few verses later, God really lays it on them saying, you know, somehow you people who, who are, are perverting justice are still going through the motions of worshiping me. Well, I want you to know how I feel about it. Verses 21 through 24, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Some versions say, you know, let justice roll like a mighty river, which Martin Luther referenced when he, Martin Luther King Jr. referenced when he was in jail in Alabama for seeking justice. Maple Grove, God, he hates injustice. Get it? Good. Jesus, God's answer to injustice. See, ultimately, God's answer to injustice is Jesus. And again, there's tons of scripture that speak to this. I only have time to share a few. The first two are from Isaiah. They're prophecies about Jesus coming. The first is probably really familiar to you around Christmas time. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of the, his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. The next is from Isaiah 42, talking about Jesus. Look at my servant, whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He'll not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He'll bring justice to all who have been wrong. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instructions. God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. This is his world, and he will see to it that things are set right. Amen? Now those passages are looking to Jesus coming and the justice he would bring. In the Gospels, Jesus is here, and in Luke 4, Jesus makes it really clear what his work was all about. Luke 4, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in the synagogue and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Can you see him? The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He wrote up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you've just heard have been fulfilled this very day. I understand in this synagogue, Jesus does what history counts as one of the most rock star moves of all time. He announces who he is, and not by sending out a press release or starting a mass email to all of his friends, 
but rather by standing up and reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And not just any passage. He chooses the one that foretells who he is. You see, this was Jesus announcing via the sacred words of Isaiah chapter 61 that the Messiah was standing right in front of him. Front of them. And that these words of promise were beginning to be realized in him bringing good news to the poor, proclaiming release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. Now, one way this passage is understood, and rightly understood, is that Jesus' mission was about freeing us from our sin. He brings good news to those who are poor in spirit. He proclaims freedom for those who are held captive to sin. He heals us who are blinded by our sin. He sets us free from the oppression that sin causes in our lives. Freedom from shame, from guilt, from addiction, from past trauma. This is the gospel. It's true and it's good news for all of us. However, if we stop there, we miss out on another thing that Jesus is proclaiming. Understand, Jesus is is declaring himself the prophet, the priest, the king, whose mission is not just to rescue us from spiritual bondage, but to offer, not just to offer spiritual freedom, but declaring the very, very good news that in his kingdom, it's about people setting captives free. It's about about extending freedom to people like Kumar, to those who are imprisoned by other people. Brothers and sisters, God, he hates injustice. Jesus is God's answer to injustice. In the church, we are justice bearers. I understand this proclamation from Jesus in Luke 4 and the call we see in the rest of the gospel that he has for his people, his body, to be both salt and light, to be people who who look after the needs of the, the least of these, those who cannot help themselves, is what drives, is what's to drive the church. Because we are justice bearers, proclaiming you know, freedom to those held in the bondage of sin, proclaiming freedom to those being oppressed by other people. And, and believe me when I tell you that setting people free from physical captivity, that's one of the things that drives international justice mission, and that's one of the reasons why there's a second part to Kumar's story. Amen. That's good news, right? Kumar's story. Now, Kumar remembers his day of rescue as a quick, life-changing turn of events. This happened. For reality, it took months of careful planning by, by, by the IJM staff, local police investigators, you know, and finally it came to the point where they could raid the place and set everybody free. And, and now, a, now a boy once terrified to think about his future suddenly had a second chance. IJM... IJM counselors stayed by his side and promised him over and over that he was finally safe and that this was real, that this was really happening. And as the good news sunk in, Kumar was overjoyed and told IJM, when I heard that somebody is going to release me from here, I felt very happy. I was happy I no longer needed to suffer, that my life was about to change. Since that turning point, everything has changed for Kumar. He's thriving in his freedom. He's a deep thinker, apparently a fantastic dancer and a college student. He graduated, and now he's working 
with an IJA team in India fighting to bring freedom to people enslaved just like he was. And Kumar is now a Christian. You see, the, the first link in his redemptive chain uh, for Kumar uh, was for, for him to be physically set free from captivity. And the second link in his redemptive chain was the spiritual and eternal freedom that he, he found in Christ. Yes, Kumar's story of, of rescue, it's awesome. And if it seems like it's just a drop in a bucket, I want to assure you that it's not. Because the scope of what IJM is doing, it grows every day. IGM consists of a little over 700 Christian lawyers, criminal investigators, Bob in the DR, pretty tough dude, undercover agent in, in, in Miami, Florida for like 20 years. We met him, tough dude. Okay, um, trauma social workers, pastors, graphic designers, every job you can think of. And they work in nearly 20 communities throughout Africa, Latin America, and South and Southeast Asia. And listen, they're not just seeing freedom for individuals, they're seeing freedom for, for cities and even, even whole countries are being impacted. For example, in Cambodia, a country that used to be considered ground zero for pedophiles and sex tourism, you know, however, after 15 years of collaboration between Cambodian leaders, police, courts, social workers, IJM, and other Christian organizations like Rafa House, a dramatic change is happening for Cambodia's children. In 2015, a study was done that found that the prevalence of young minors in the largest commercial sex market in the markets in that country once estimated to be as high as 15 to 30%. Isn't that nuts? Uh, could you imagine if 15 to 30% of our young people, could you imagine, walk down that hallway, right? And it's not a children's wing, it's a brothel. Could you imagine that? Could, could, you, could you imagine the kids down there working as slaves, being trafficked? But because of this work, what was once 15 to 30% has been virtually eradicated to less than one-tenth of 1%. And now there's other challenges in Cambodia, but let's pause for a moment and acknowledge that, that there will now be thousands of women and girl, young girls that will never be abused in the first place. Amen? Never experience that. You know, a few weeks ago when I was talking about this, well, it was actually just last week. I, I watched my 13-year-old daughter walk down the hallway with her 13-year-old friend, and I'm going, oh, my God. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine if that was her life. You have daughters. You have grandchildren. Could you imagine? But they're being set free. Every day we move closer to seeing the end of slavery in our lifetime. From the perspective of the mission of Jesus, this is precisely what happens when the church stands up to the call that Jesus issued in Luke 4 and a challenge he gave us in Matthew 25 that, hey, whatever you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. It's a call to go after the lost sheep, the wounded lambs who've been kicked to the curb and abused. It's a call to have and pursue a religion that, that God finds acceptable. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows and their distress. And, don't forget the end, refuse and let the world corrupt you. Brothers and sisters, bringing justice 
is a central part of the biblical narrative and of Christian history. In Exodus chapter 3, God hears the cries of, of his people in bondage, and he sent Moses to stand in the court of the most powerful empire the world had known until the Israelites were set free. In the late 1700s, God hears the cry of those enslaved in the British Empire, and he calls William Wilberforce. And, and Wilberforce tenaciously introduces a bill 16 years in a row. 15 times he failed. 15 times it didn't go his way, but the 16th time the bill was passed. What if we quit on 16 or 14 or 13? And he helped end slavery in the British Empire. And again in the 1800s, God hears the cries of those enslaved in our country. And he calls Harriet Tubman to mobilize a vast network of churches and safe houses to create a safe passage to freedom. And God inspires Abraham Lincoln to, despite the political pressure, to use the power that he had to end slavery in our country. And now God is using people like IJM to bring freedom for Kumar and boys in the fishing industry in Ghana and girls in the brothel in Mumbai and for thousands of people every year across the world. Maple Grove, we are the church. We are justice bearers. And now I want to issue a very specific challenge this morning. I want to challenge us as a church and us as individuals to join in this bold mission and specifically to link arms with IJM and fight against injustice until all are free. You see, we can be part of the solution. We can be part of this miraculous transformation we can be witnesses of the kingdom of light shattering the kingdom of darkness. Today, Freedom Sunday 2016, I, I, I want to invite each of you to join a global community of believers seeking to end slavery by becoming freedom partners. What is a freedom partner? It's someone who gives $25 a month or more to provide resources so IJM can set people free. $25 a month is 79 cents a day. I want to encourage you to sacrifice, right? Like, just don't, make it cost you something, right? God, don't say, well, I'll just take $24 off my tithe. No, no give something up. When you're giving up, you're thinking, hey, I'm doing this to set someone free. Check out this video. There's a website and your notes also up on the screen. Imagine someday standing before Jesus. And I got news, everybody in this room one day will, right? We will. And imagine having Jesus ask you, Steve, where were you? Steve, where were you when there was an epidemic of violence that was devastating the world's poor? Where were you? Steve, where were you when young girls were being bought and sold, having their innocence ripped away day in and day out, year after year? Where were you? Steve, where were you? Steve, where were you when, when families were sold into bondage? When, where were you when seven-year-old boys were doing forced labor and being beaten? Where were you? And, and, and I, I don't know about you, but 
when I stand before him on that day, I'm going to be able to say, hey, that I, I linked arms with, with, with courageous believers at my church and, and with a group called IJM and a global movement of Jesus followers. I, I want to be a, able to say, Jesus, you know where I was? I, I, I was in the middle of the fight. I, I was a part of setting them free. I, I was a part of making a difference. And that I broke out of my asylum where the safety of my middle-class suburban home, where, where I worry about such simple things that other people would only love to worry about, that I broke out of this asylum and acknowledged my craziness, that we live in a messed-up world, that, that, that he has asked us to be a part of helping be right again and not close my eyes anymore to what's going on. And so I, I just want to encourage you, you know, um, you know, during our time of, of response, you know, you can, I have some packets up here you can pick up. You can grab your phone and sign up. Um, I'm halfway through mine. Uh, you know, I got to finish, hit the approve button when I get done. Um, and the cool thing, if you sign up in September, the whole first year, uh, it's going to be worth double. Someone's is, is going to match this. There's there's about 500 churches across the nation we're doing this today, and, and everyone makes a commitment. Someone has volunteered, hey, I, I will match whatever people offer. And so you have opportunity. You can grab one of these. If you sign up online, you will, they'll send you a packet in the mail and with this uh, little pin here that says free. You know, every week we, you know, we take communion, and, and we remind ourselves, right, of Jesus' body being broken and his blood being shed so that people could be set free. You know, um, you know freedom, right, it has a cost. And, and Jesus paid it for us. And now he's waiting for us, right, to help pay it for others, be involved. And not, yeah, I, I know it's, it's not always pleasant to think about, but man, can you imagine excitement knowing you're part of it? Can you imagine getting to heaven someday and, and some little girl has been rescued because, because you gave up 79 cents a day? <laughs> And now this girl is rescued from being, she's no longer sold as a sex slave and she has a new life and a new beginning. And you, you played a role in that and you get to spend eternity in heaven because of that. And you gave something up. You gave up something temporary for something to last forever. You know, I know it's tempting to close our eyes, church, but my prayer was that we will wake up to the reality that's out there, break out of our insane asylum, accept the reality of our world and work to change it through the power of Christ, his word, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll have a little extra time, you know, uh, to take communion, and if you want to go on your phone, you want to grab a packet, feel free to do so. Would you stand and pray with me? Uh, Jesus, thank you for our freedom. Thank you that though we deserve punishment, you gave us grace and mercy. And Jesus, I pray that you would move among us right now, God, that you would, your Holy Spirit would stir us out of our complacency and say, like the video, not on our watch, not, on our, not when we can do something about it, not when we can be partner with somebody and set people free. And God, I pray we have a passion not only to set people free from physical bondage, but God, 
This week, we'll rub shoulders, we'll lock eyes with people who need to know the good news because they're in spiritual bondage, they're lost. Jesus, may we be the church you desire. And we thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. And we remember you as we take it. And we gladly give to you in those boxes our offering to spread your kingdom in and through this place and around the world. Amen.